Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, Great Men and Women of Faith, today with a message entitled, Hezekiah, The Measure of Greatness. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Bill Leinberger said, we all want to be great, but we don't want folks to know we want to be great. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You see the difference between those two statements. The first suggests that we try to hide our passion for greatness, and the second suggests we embrace it and goes on to tell us how to achieve it. Be a servant. Can you see, Jesus is appealing to our desire to be great. And so following Jesus' lead, today's life lesson from great men and women of the Bible is an encouragement to be a great man or woman of faith. What does greatness really look like? Today, we're going to be studying the life of King Hezekiah, who reigned the nation of Judah for 29 years, from 715 to 686 B.C., According to 2 Kings 18, verse 5, he was the greatest king ever to succeed David on the throne. There was before him and after him no king like him. In many ways, he is the measure of greatness. And so if you want to learn from Hezekiah, let me ask you, do you want your life to be great or are you content with mediocrity? If you want your life to matter, have a look at the life of a man whose life not only mattered, But were we to examine the over 40 kings who reigned in Judah and Israel after David and Solomon, this man is clearly the greatest man among them. He is the poster boy for greatness. He was a man who accomplished God's purposes for his life in his time. Indeed, what he did had eternal consequences. Let's begin by talking about how his greatness emerged. And by that, I mean, what is the environment under which this man rose to greatness? Let's have a look at Hezekiah's life, and I'm reading 2 Kings 18, 1 to 12. It says, In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Avi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commands that the Lord commanded Moses." And the Lord was with him wherever he went. He went out and prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza in its territory from watchtower to fortified city. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gotsan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. 
What takes up 12 verses in 2 Kings actually takes up three chapters in 2 Chronicles. So borrowing from 2 Chronicles, let me give you a brief sketch of Hezekiah's early kingship. Hezekiah's father was King Ahaz, and he was an evil man. He was an idolater and even sacrificed one of his sons, one of Hezekiah's brothers, as a burnt offering to a pagan god. You know, I remember many years ago listening to the testimony of an Indian man. His name was Rochunga Pudayate. He was a great man who had been used by God to translate the Bible into his native language. He told his story. His father was a chief and he was a cannibal and a headhunter. Rochunga said that as a little boy, he remembered the rows of shrunken heads on his grandfather's shelf and how he hated the gospel. I wonder how horrifying that would be. But that's exactly how Hezekiah was raised with the horrifying thought that even his own brother was not exempt from being burnt to the sacrifice to a demon god. The political situation in which he grew up was equally terrifying. A new nation had arisen more powerful and more cruel than any had seen, far more than David or Solomon or any other king had faced. This nation was a true superpower, Assyria. Historians tell us that Assyria was the most brutal, barbarous, ruthless war machine that the world had ever known up to this point in time. Its atrocities and war crimes were a byword, and its name was universally hated and feared. They had begun to demand tribute from all the small nations of which Judah was a part, of Israel, of Moab, Syria, Philistia, Edom, Tyre, Sidon, Ammon. All the little powers were under the great power. All Assyria had to do was demand money and all the small countries paid. And then when they wanted to, they would simply invade a nation and destroy its capital and mercilessly kill its inhabitants and take anyone who was left and simply deport an entire population to another location. Hezekiah watched as the Assyrians invaded Israel, his brother nation to the north, and now Israel would cease to be a nation. I want to talk about greatness and how it's established. First of all, please notice that greatness is often established in times of trouble. I don't know of anyone who has made a difference, who has made a mark for the kingdom of God, who didn't have to face an overwhelming foe. It's trouble that makes or breaks us, that defines us, that either exposes us as frauds and cowards or as great men and women. Greatness is defined in trouble. We become great or small by how we face the crises in our lives. So view trouble in those terms. Now, in a few brief words from what's recorded in 2 Chronicles 29 to 31, let me tell you how Hezekiah established his kingdom. I'm reading 2 Chronicles 29 verses 3 to 6. It reads, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Now that might seem strange if you think about it. Against the looming foreign crisis, this man is not initially having meetings with his generals and diplomats to figure out a way to mitigate the crisis. Instead, he looks to repair the temple and reestablish worship. Now, I can guarantee you one thing. 
The Assyrian Morning News never picked up on this story. The world would have thought that he was completely irrelevant. You see, the world expects everyone to react to a crisis in terms of that crisis. You know, when we have a financial crisis, we think about money. When we have a marriage crisis, we think about solving that. We live in a world that doesn't want to hear the gospel, so we think about techniques that can make the church grow. But that's not Hezekiah. His concern was for the glory of God. Now, here's a second marker of how greatness was established. Hezekiah had an understanding of what really matters. The world never knows what matters. It takes a great man of God to know what matters. Do you know what really matters? Worship matters. Prayer, the word, not neglecting the fellowship of God's people, learning the ways of God, learning obedience. It's all that stuff that matters. And here's the third marker of greatness. It remains humble, and it's always focused on God. According to 2 Chronicles 30, Hezekiah reestablished the celebration of Passover, the lamb that was slain for the deliverance of God's people. In essence, he made sure that the gospel was proclaimed in Judah because it had been neglected. And as you and I should know, Passover looks forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, who is the Passover lamb, whose blood removes our sins. Hezekiah, if he did anything, wanted to make sure that everyone in his nation heard the gospel. And according to 2 Chronicles 31, he appoints the priest to serve. He gives money for the operation of the priest. He gives out of his own pockets. And amazingly, the entire nation follows his lead and begins to tithe. Yeah, they tithe, they give generously for worship. Everyone begins to follow his lead and gives. And this leads to the fourth establishment of his greatness. It's called leadership. Hezekiah was able to influence and inspire others. Now, this is the background to greatness, and it's amazing how many of us will miss this. You know, I sometimes hear Christians say, you know, I'm going to make a big impact for Christ. But in the process, they neglect worship, the word, prayer, preaching, giving, serving. See, you'll never be great if you don't know what really matters. But that leads us now to how Hezekiah faced the crisis of the Assyrian army. Psalms of the Seasons is our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada scripture calendar. And it reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of this creation and the beauty of God's word. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Newfeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging each of us to open up our Bibles every day. This is a practice and discipline critical to creating a steadfast foundation for faith. Use your calendar as a reminder to engage in the Bible every day and use the Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2020. This resource is filled with encouragement and it's yours for free. Just ask. Simply request your copy today. And perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Either way, call us for your free calendar at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. We're studying the greatness of King Hezekiah. I'm reading 2 Kings 18, verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. 
So now city after city in Judah fell to the Assyrians, and now it would not be long until they stood outside the gates of Jerusalem, smashed down its walls, destroyed its temple, killed its king, and transported its population to another place. Nothing like this had ever happened in the history of Judah. Now to 2 Kings 18, 14 to 16. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasury of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Let me try to explain that. Early on in his reign, in the time of wealth and prosperity, Hezekiah had become involved in beautifying the temple. Now he's forced to strip the beauty from the temple. I mean, how do we understand that? Hezekiah, I think, is gaining a brief respite so that he can garner up his resources for what lies ahead. And from the drama that follows comes one powerful lesson of the Bible in how to rise to greatness. Indeed, from his life, I think we can see a number of principles of great men and women. Principle number one, do what you can knowing that's not enough. You know, whether you're fighting external enemies or internal enemies, including your own sin, please know that even though the odds against you are greater than you can manage, and they are, God calls you to do what you can. For instance, you can't win the war over your own flesh, but you must act by faithfully reading the Word, by forming relationships of accountability like in the Bible study that you attend, by praying. Keep from the place where you're most tempted. Do what you can, knowing it's not enough, for you need the Lord. And that is what Hezekiah did. His efforts are feeble, sure enough, but that doesn't mean that they're insignificant. But the pressure begins to heat up. I'm reading now 2 Kings 18, verse 17a. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshikah, with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, the Tartan was the commander-in-chief, the overseer of the great unstoppable army of Assyria. He in rank was second only to the king. The Rabsaris was the chief eunuch and next in command under the Tartan, and the Rabshikah was in fact the king's chief cupbearer and also his field commander. These were about as important officials as you could get from Assyria that is under the king himself. So let's keep reading. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shevna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Now, did you notice? Hezekiah is playing quite a card here. If the king of Assyria will not address him directly and will only speak through his underlings, then the underlings can talk to each other. See, what Hezekiah is saying is that he does not acknowledge the superiority of King Sennacherib of Assyria. Hezekiah never doubted that he was seated on David's throne. That's better than Assyria's throne, for Jerusalem's king determined the destiny of the human race. Now to verses 19 and 20. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? 
Now, I want you to notice that the commanders of Assyria are fishing around for something. Hezekiah has not come out hunched over in fear, and that surprises them. He has confidence. You know, back in the year 1830, it was a British archaeologist by the name of Major Taylor. He was on an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Nineveh, which was in fact the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He discovered what was called a prism. It was a six-sided column made of baked clay. It was a hexagon in which all six sides were covered with writing. There were some 500 lines in all. And it turns out that this prism contained an Assyrian description of King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria that threatened Hezekiah. The description begins by calling Sennacherib the favorite of the gods, a mighty man, a perfect hero, the man who consumes all his enemies with a thunderbolt, the man who all kings fear. And then amazingly, the prism contains the words of Sennacherib in which he describes attacking all the cities of Judah and receiving tribute from Hezekiah. And then he goes on to say that he surrounded Jerusalem with his army. And in his words, Sennacherib boasts, I have shut up Hezekiah as a bird in a cage. But interestingly enough, it never tells us any more. I mean, you'd think that he would tell about destroying that city, but the prism simply ends. No more words are added. Strained, embarrassed silence. But the Bible tells us what happened when Sennacherib didn't have the courage to tell the end of the story. They met the officials of Hezekiah and they seemed confident. So they fished around. Do you have a secret agreement with Egypt? But no, it must be something else. And this brings us to the second principle of rising to greatness. First, do what you can, even though you know it's not enough. And second, base your confidence on God and not in your efforts. And that's the entire secret of Hezekiah's greatness. It's that Hezekiah reckoned that he had a great God and that God was for him. I hope you heard that. Hezekiah was not convinced that he was a great king, but he was definitely convinced that he had a great God and that God was for him. See, that kind of confidence, it's called faith. And faith tells me several things. I mean, first, that God's anger against me for my sins is atoned for. And that's the entire story of the revival of Passover. And for us in the New Testament, that's the entire emphasis on the cross. And then second, if God is for me, who can be against me? You know, if they fight me, well, they're fighting God. Now, believing that may not immediately change the external situation, but I tell you, it will give great confidence in your struggles. Whatever enemies you face, base your confidence in God. And so Hezekiah comes out looking like a man who will simply not be intimidated. You know, I wish we had time to cover all the drama that now ensues, but for the sake of brevity, let me take you to the end of the story. First, Hezekiah went to the temple to pray. And then next, God sent the prophet Isaiah to him, telling Hezekiah that God was the one who raised the Assyrians up in the first place and that the Assyrians could do no more than what God allowed them to do. So let's listen to part of what Isaiah says as we come to the end of this account. I'm reading 2 Kings 19, 32 to 37. Isaiah speaking. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night 
the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esherhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. And that's the key to Hezekiah's greatness. The man who saw God found that it was God who defended him and fought for him. And that's the secret of all greatness. Genuine greatness does not rest in the hands of great men and women. It never did. It rests in the hands of a great God. You know, if you can do your best and then firmly trust in God, you will find that God will fight for you. But if you trust in yourself, you discount the power of God. See, we need to learn from the great men and women of God who learned the secret of greatness. Greatness does not rest with us. Greatness rests in the hands of a great God who has loved his own people. Seek God's glory and not yours. Seek to be a servant in the kingdom and let God exalt you. And you will find that as you're a servant, you are becoming a great man or woman of faith. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are driven in some way to make a mark for themselves. Lord, take that desire away from them. Help men and women to be driven so that they might see God for who he is, the great God who has made all things and controls all destinies. May we, Heavenly Father, find whatever greatness we have in the greatness of our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John, this is a remarkable story, and I think there's so much to learn from it about having confidence in God and not in ourselves. But can you explain to me a little bit more? You know, we can't have confidence in God if we're after our own stuff or after our own pursuits. He's not going to bless that, is he? Yeah, I mean, we should not think that our confidence comes in the fact that God will always bail us out of everything, and so things will always go our own way. That's not this account. I think this account is that God is for his own glory. And if we take delight in his glory, then let's just stand and see what God is going to do because it's going to be great and it's going to be for our own long-term good in the end. So, you know, if in the present day, I mean, our enemies rise up against us and they defeat us, well, they'll only do so at the permission of God. So we enter in confidence knowing that we're on God's side. So let God do his thing and we will simply watch. And in the end, that's good for us. It's great to be on God's side. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. We're so grateful for all of our listeners right across this beautiful country. And if you'd like to become a part of the team of Back to the Bible Canada, well, this month we'd like to invite you to become a monthly partner or also to participate in our special match campaign this month. So for every dollar you give towards the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again or in doubt, another dollar will be given up to $50,000, expanding our opportunity to minister God's Word across Canada and beyond. If you've been listening and perhaps you've never taken the opportunity to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada before, you know what? This just might be the perfect time. Join us in our $50,000 match campaign in October or become a monthly partner. Call us today 
at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca.